0: This was a week filled with emotion. Back when I was in my 20s, before I was in a relationship with my dear wife, I was a soldier in the Canadian Armed Forces and I pledged allegiance to our Queen. And I never met her. She's this person that kind of had a distant connection to me. But the news of her death strangely elicited an emotional response in me. When our new king spoke, I was moved by his words. I think the relationship was built over 70 years of such a profound devotion to her task and to her people that you'd have to be probably quite a stony person not to have felt something by this i think the relationship between our sovereign and her people really in a way is kind of like a covenant it's a promise that she makes that regardless of what we do or say she will continue to serve and now with Charles he will serve and it's a steadfast reminder that there's parts of our life in our society that are bigger than ourselves I think when the monarchy is at its best It serves as a rudder to steer us through difficult times. It points us to a future that is something that we can aspire toward. It reminds us of the past, of something that we can hold and cherish. I think that we will see in this new Prince and Princess of Wales, in our new Sovereign, a new way of being but we won't forget what has happened in the past because it's something old and it's something new something old and something new when karen and i were on our vacation we celebrated our 28th anniversary And I remember as I was standing at a stage much like this one, my knees knocking, incredibly nervous about what I was about to enter into. And it is right to be nervous because it is serious. It is important. It is something old and something new coming together in a covenant. A promise. We... See this in the way the bride wears something old and something new. To point to the past, our history, what brought us to that place, and toward our future, where we imagine a new reality, a new way of being, new opportunities, new possibilities, and a new family. It's a profound way of celebrating love and newness. Last week, we talked about covenant. We talked about it being in the form of love, specifically, Hesed love, a covenant love, a love that doesn't quit, it is faithful, it is steadfast, it is for the other. And this is the kind of love that God reveals to us in Scripture, where it reminds us, grounds us, grows us, roots us in the hope of story. It's God's story. And He invites us into that story, but it is a story of Hesed love. It is a covenant story. It's a story of mission and purpose and healing and forgiveness. And Scripture guides us on this path toward relationship and into shalom. A restoration with God through Jesus Christ with one another, our Creator, all of creation, and even with our own selves as He brings in a new way of being. Something old and something new birthed into the world in a profound way. Over the next few weeks, we're going to look at this amazing Hesed love through a series of covenant stories. How God revealed His promise to His people and brought something old, something profound, something important that had been corrupted and broken and how out of that, He transforms life, births something, birth something new, and fulfills His promise through Jesus Christ, and brings us hessed love embodied in the person of His Son. We will see something old and something new. And this morning, we're going to begin with the story of Noah. And of course, if you've been in Sunday school for any length of time, you've heard the stories. You know about the animals and this lovely floating boat. You've seen the mobiles above babies' beds that go around with this beautiful music. But this morning, you actually heard the adult version of the story. It's a story of corruption, a story of sin. A story of how God grieved that He'd even bothered to create us. And in the midst of this story, there was one righteous man who obeyed God. There's a story of a child who was in a Sunday school program kind of up at the stage, about ready to get released into Sunday school. And the pastor was sharing the Noah story with these kids. And he asked, I want you to close your eyes and imagine the story. And what do you hear? And this precocious young boy says, I hear people screaming outside because they're drowning. Probably not what he expected. But what a profound insight into the brutality of the story. And we're left with this tension about a loving God. And we can't resolve this tension. But we see His love poured out through this one family in this world gone wrong. Now today, we're going to be looking at two specific passages of Scripture. And I got some homework for you. I can't possibly read all that this morning and 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 you know not have us here till two o'clock this afternoon as I unpack it. But I really would encourage you to read these two passages of scripture together and let the second be informed by the first. Because there was a non-functioning condition in this world. And Noah, in his obedience to God, builds this boat. And I can imagine the kind of ridicule he must have received building this monstrosity. Three stories Scripture tells us it had. There was one window a door in the side, and this 18-inch slat that went across by the roof. We're not talking a speedboat here. We're not talking something that you'd want to go and brag to your friends about. It's no mastercraft. It is this huge, floating pail. And it takes them about a year to build this thing. So, I can imagine there was an awful lot of mocking going on. Scripture doesn't indicate at all that there was any sense of change or repentance or concern by his neighbors. He was steadfast to the task. And God wipes the slate clean. The story tells us he bobs around the earth. For about five or six months. Then he gets stuck on the mountain of Ararat. And at about ten months, he sends out these birds and some come back and some don't. Then he pops the door open. It takes another couple of months for the whole earth to dry out. And a year they, they lived in this boat. It's a profound story of obedience. But it's also a profound story of tragedy. God didn't cause the tragedy. You see, God knew that in order to achieve his ends of a redeemed people, he had to wipe the slate clean and start fresh. For God so loved the world. And so we create space for Hesed love to impact the story as we have it today it says that god remembered noah and he gives us this covenant and the covenant is then god told noah and his sons i hereby confirm my covenant with you and your descendants and with all the animals that were on the boat with you the birds the livestock and all the wild animals every living creature on earth it is a covenant with humanity and all of creation God's Hesed love poured over the entire surface of the earth. Yes, I am confirming my covenant with you. Never again will the floodwaters kill all living creatures. Never again will a flood destroy the earth. Sin and corruption in the world, God takes it seriously. And He was grieved But He resets creation. And by grace, He saves one family. He makes a covenant through that family. He pours out His love. And even though the corruption and sin of the human heart continued, He still poured out His love over all the earth. And then He does something new. You see, the world was still going wrong. There was violence and corruption and sin, and into the midst of that, He puts His Son onto the planet's surface. And Jesus, in the midst of this storm, both personal and political, God remembered His people. And He gives them a way to be restored. Not resetting the earth. Not destroying His creation. But sending Himself to make a way so that we could be back in relationship with our Creator. Matthew 8 says, "...Then Jesus saw the crowd around Him, and He instructed His disciples to cross to the other side of the lake. So what's going on in this story is that Jesus is starting to build a bit of fame. He's been doing all these amazing miracles. He's been doing all this amazing teaching. And the crowds are starting to build. They're starting to press on him. And so he wants to escape to the other side of the lake with his disciples. And at the time that that was happening, this teacher of the religious law comes up and says, I will follow you. So there was these people that had this sense of who Jesus was as the Messiah, but of course they had a political understanding of Jesus. And Jesus had a very different sense of what his call was. And so this person comes up and says, I will follow you. That's kind of ego-pleasing. If you said to me, I will follow you, I would probably say, yeah, that's cool, let's go. But Jesus turns to him and says, I have nothing so if you follow me you won't have a place to lay your head or a roof over yourself i have nothing to follow me means you give up everything another disciple comes and says let me go bury my father there's some indication that that meant that his father probably wasn't close to death but that this was waiting out until he could get his inheritance and then he'll follow jesus And Jesus says, let the dead bury the dead. To follow me means you put me first. And of course, this discourages people. So they cross the lake. Jesus is tired. Storm comes up. And Jesus is asleep in the boat. He's exhausted. And the disciples, of course, get very afraid. Boat starts to rock, water starts to come in. I'd probably be a little bit concerned myself. I don't hold this against the disciples. So they wake Jesus up. Jesus stands up, rebukes the storm. Storm calms down. They're amazed, who is this? And Jesus looks at them and goes, why do you have so little faith? He then lands on the other side of the lake and these two demon-possessed men come up out of the tombs They were so violent, people wouldn't even go anywhere near that area. Jesus sees them, confronts the demons, casts out the demons into a herd of pigs. They go screaming down the hill, drown themselves. The whole town is completely disrupted and disoriented by this. And they kind of really want Jesus to go away. Gets back in the boat, crosses over, gets back to the other side. And this paralyzed man gets carried to him on a map. And one, one way it's told where he's busted through the roof, another he just comes up to him. We're not sure exactly what happened, but we do know this. He looks at this man lying on the, on, the map, on the mat and says that your sins are forgiven. Now what would compel Jesus to see a paralyzed man after all the healing that he'd done to say your sins are forgiven? Of course, that creates quite an uprise. The religious authorities who are standing around How dare this man forgive sins? No one has the power to forgive sins except God, how right they were. And Jesus says, just so you know I have the power to forgive sins, get up, pick up your mat, and walk. You see, in the minds of the Hebrew people, his paralyzation was connected to a sin of his or his previous generation's. So to be healed was a physical act of forgiveness that God had cleaned your slate. Power over creation. Power over corruption. Power over sin. See, Jesus is living out the Noah Covenant, the promise that I will not destroy the earth because of sin ever again. In fact, Scripture tells us, as He says, that plants will be cropped, uh, planted, crops will be planted, harvests will be harvested until the end of days, because I promise I will not destroy the earth. That's the promise. Corruption has continued; it's pretty bad under the Roman Empire. The temple system has really lost its way and they're desperately clinging to some form of power. And Jesus comes in and embodies the Noah covenant, the hesed love, by calming the storm. By freeing two men from the corruption of demonic possession. And forgives a man who's paralyzed of his sin and then restores him to full health. God instructs, Jesus obeys. It's a profound story of freedom. So how do we live this story? See, it's not a children's story. But it is a love story. We live in a world that is still filled with this corruption. The world will always go wrong. Until Jesus returns and sets things right, we will not be in a position where things are going to be different. As much as we can pray they will, the world's not getting better. And so we live in the midst of this storm We face fears. As we're disrupted in our personal lives, we're disrupted in our corporate lives, our society is in upheaval. Whether we live in a time of peace or war, there seems to be always something that's making us anxious. We've become an incredibly anxious society. If you look around, you'll see this Calm, aware, present posters. Starting September 27th, we're going to have a 10 week small group. It will be a closed group, it will be an open session on the 27th where people can come and see what we're about to do. But we're going to spend 10 weeks learning tools and how to be calm, aware, and present in the midst of our anxious age. I think it's the biggest pandemic that we have today. It's not COVID. It's anxiousness. And it's killing us. And it's killing our work. And in the midst of this storm, God has remembered you. And He sent His Son so that we could be restored. So we live this story first and foremost because we are a forgiven people. If we accept Jesus who, for who He claimed to be and say, we want you to be our Lord, He restores our relationship with God. We are not left lost. We are not left in a... In a state where that storm must continue to buffet us you see what i think is most profound about noah is we get no sense that he was anxious about this scripture never mentions it he just obediently builds this boat puts his family and all these animals into the boat bobs around the planet for 10 months puts the animals back out builds a vineyard and then actually celebrates by getting drunk that's the story It's not a children's story. What do the disciples do? First sign of a storm? They're panicking. They got the God of creation, the Logos, the Word, the Son of the Most High God asleep in their boat, and they panic. You see, I want to be like Noah. Except the drunk part. I'm a Baptist after all. But I want to be free and anxious free and live a life where I remember the Hesed love and the covenant impacts every single thing I do. You see, I want to live as if I had hope. What is profound about this story is the hope that God brings us is profound. We're not left on the outside, we're inside the boat. God has lifted us up. And through Jesus Christ, said, love is directed at you and it's directed at me. And we are no longer lost to sin and corruption. We are free. But I have a choice to make. I can choose to reject this love. I can choose to say no to Jesus. Because one of the profound aspects of the grace that surrounds this story, this love that embodies what we're we're learning today, is that He doesn't demand. He invites. And so we're invited into hope. We're invited to put aside our fear and to embrace healing. Because the corruption and sin that still exists in the world, it kind of splashes all over us. If you decide to join me in these 10 weeks, you're going to hear that anxiety kind of works like that. When I was teaching at Gull Lake this summer, we were teaching about how our love and how our relationship with other people was supposed to kind of get all over the place. And so we brought the students and we put them around this blender and we put in, we kind of put in milk and we put in orange juice then we put in an old cheese sandwich and then we put in some other various things like yogurt and it was this concoction. We said, you know, this is your family life and this is your job and these are your hobbies and these are your, this is your church time and these are all the things that you do. And then with the lid off, we hit the blender and it went everywhere. And this wonderful smelling concoction, it kind of did smell nice because we'd put mango fruit in there and it wasn't too bad. So mango with grilled cheese, it's kind of an interesting concoction. But it got all over them and it was a way of demonstrating that's how Hesed love is meant to be. And when we live that love, when we embrace the covenant, when we say yes to Jesus and allow that healing to flood through us, it will be like cheese sandwiches and mangoes blended together, it will get everywhere. And that is what God wants from us. Because I think when that happens, it brings peace. We don't live in a world that is filled with peace. When Jesus comes, there's a calmness. We see that in Noah. We do not see that in the disciples. But in Christ, I can live a life where fear and anxiety can increasingly lose its grip on me. Can you hear that? You sense that. That in Jesus Christ, fear and anxiety can lose increasingly its grip on you. It doesn't mean we don't feel anxiety. It doesn't mean that when we do feel anxiety that we've sinned. But it means when we feel anxiety, there is a path out, a path back to peace through Jesus Christ. And I think this gives us a purpose. Because I think the more free we are from anxiety, the more we acknowledge, understand, and embrace the covenant that is not a covenant just for God's people as stated in Scripture, the Jews. It's a covenant for all of humanity. This promise wasn't just made to the church. It wasn't just made to Israel. It was made to the animals. It was made to all peoples everywhere. God's Hesed love pours out over this entire earth whether or not we say yes. But I think when we say yes, we are invited in to this freedom, not for ourselves, but like Jesus to pour out all over the place. Our lives become that blended. Love of Christ as we spread out all over the world. Maybe not smelling like mango and cheese whiz, but equally messy in a really wonderful way. And I think this story gives us freedom. I know not all of us feel free Certainly outside our doors, we have a city that doesn't feel free. There's so much concern. You can't listen to a news broadcast without somebody talking about rising interest rates, cost of living, house prices, creating this incredible amount of angst and anxiety within us. But our hope rests not in Pierre Polyev, but in Jesus Christ. And that's as political as I'll ever get. It doesn't rest in the government of our day. It rests in our sovereign. Not Charles Third, Jesus Christ. And so that freedom comes and it gives us that peace. And it's an invitation. But there is a cost to following Jesus. And so the choice we have this morning is do we embrace this Hesed love? Do we say yes to the invitation to forgiveness, hope, freedom, purpose, healing? Or do we say no because the cost is too high? I personally don't think the cost is too high. I'm willing to give up everything on this earth to get the prize of great price of value, the pearl that God talks about. The purpose in life is not to get a bigger house, a better job, more status, nicer clothes. The purpose is to find freedom in Jesus Christ. But there's a cost. Because Jesus has nothing. And he's inviting us to give everything up for him. And I think that when we do that, I actually think that's when we find an anxious, free existence. You see, if I don't care if I lose my house, I'm not worried if the interest rates go up. If I'm not worried about starving to death because Jesus has got me, I'm not worried about food prices. And if if I'm just so in love with Jesus that his relationship with me is all that matters, I'm not really concerned if the world hates me. But I acknowledge it's a big price to pay. So that's our call this morning. Will we embrace Hesed love? Will we continue to say yes to Jesus? Will we embrace forgiveness, hope, peace, forgiveness, healing, purpose? And will we have the courage to follow Jesus no matter the cost? Let's pray. Lord, I thank You for the forgiveness that You have brought to us through Your Son, Jesus. For the way He lived out the covenant promise because we couldn't. The way He came not to wipe out the earth, but to calm the storm. To abate the flood to bring forgiveness, to drive out corruption, to restore us back to relationship with you. Lord, I thank you that your son brings hope. May that hope infuse everything we do in a world that is filled with storms. I pray we would have an audacious hope that is infectious. Lord, I pray that You would bring healing. That no matter what our story is, no matter what we've experienced, no matter what trauma we might have endured, that Lord, You would say, pick up Your mat and walk. and That we would leap for joy. Emotionally, physically. Lord, we would know You've touched our whole selves. Lord, I pray that we would embrace the purpose that our life isn't just about the pursuit of the worldly things, but that we need food. We need a place to stay. Of course we do. But our purpose lies in a much deeper cause the cause of covenant, of Hesed love. And Lord, I pray we'd embrace freedom. Not freedom for ourselves, but freedom for a world that so desperately needs good news. Lord, we thank you for your faithfulness over these last months. We pray you'd continue to grow us, stabilize us, draw us closer to you. And as we step out our doors, be the mango and and cheese sandwiches of this world and just get all over the place as we spread your love for others. Lord, we ask this